0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Please Watch This, a podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to one another so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? And with me as always is my co-host and friend Sam Blakely. Hello Sam.
1: Hello Hugh, how's it going?
0: Yeah, not too bad, how are you?
1: I'm good, you know, busy week and all that, but it uh, is what it is. Uh, yeah. So let's get into this episode, What's uh, what's going
0: on? You, yeah, I was just going to say, you're looking forward to uh, reviewing reviewing your one of your favourite directors, uh, if not your favourite director's uh, film, Boogie Nights, the 1997 film. I am, yeah. I mean, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson,
1: my favourite director, Philip Seymour Hoffman, my favourite actor, and somehow it's taken this long for me to watch a film that they're in together, which is, you know, it's not that rare that they're in a film together. He's in about five or six of his films, or PSH, he's in the PTAs.
0: But here we are. Yeah, I'm surprised that you know when uh, we were going through our list of films that people had seen, and you, you know, we when we were discussing the premise for this uh, podcast, um, you know, The Shining came up for myself, and last week we did that, and uh, obviously Empire came back, came up for you, and I remember way back in the day you recommending The Master to me, so I just assumed that you had seen, um. Boogie Nights, it never even crossed my mind to ask you if you had seen it, so was it last week when we were talking to uh, Ben and you said, um, oh I've not seen that film and I was, it was incredulous, (laughs) I couldn't believe it.
1: Yeah, well you know what, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I was trying to find a phrase other than blow my wad, Um, I I didn't want to (laughs) spend all of my Paul Thomas Anderson dollars uh, too young, you know, you don't, you want to leave a little bit behind, I mean, you know, if I'm eating bangers and mash and peas, let's say, uh, the sausages are the best bit, right? Uh, even though they take up less surface area than the rest. So there's always going to be a bit of sausage on that last forkful that I have. That's kind of how I view Paul Thomas Anderson's films. You know, I don't want to have seen them all because uh, then what what have I got to live for?
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, he's still <laughs> alive.
1: Family and, you know, family and all that, yeah. but, you know, film-wise...
0: Yeah, you don't want to, uh, you want to have something left in the tank in your later days, is that, is that what you're essentially I'm sort
1: saying? I'm basically planning my retirement, this is like, I put into my pension fund every month, and I don't watch all Paul Thomas. I haven't seen Inherent Vice, even though that came out five years ago, I haven't seen Phantom Thread, even though that's two years old. And that's got Daniel Day-Lewis in, my favourite living actor, even though he's not working anymore. So, yeah, what on earth? So what I'd like to know is when did you first see this film? Does this film have a special meaning to you, or is this purely so that I can watch Boogie Nights finally?
0: Um, I wouldn't say the film has any special meaning to me. Um, so, you know, let's get into it. You know this. You know why why I like it and why I would recommend it. Um, I think it's it it's I've written down here. It's a slice of life. I, it, you're looking. You know, a lot of films often they examine the lives of people who are super important or were p- playing key events in history or they have some sort of special abilities. Now, obviously, one of the characters in this does have something special about him. Um, <laughs> Everyone's blessed you know,
1: with
0: something special. as Yeah, as, uh, as Mark Wahlberg says in this film. But in terms of this film, um, it's just a real... Again, I think harking back to something I said last week was... Uh, That scene in The Shining where they're all the manager of the hotel, um, you know, um, Jack and uh, his wife and... um, Scatman. Beep, buh, buh, buh. Uh, <laughs> I'm so happy
1: you got that. I should just interrupt. I was so happy when I heard the final edit, and Hugh got a bit of Scatman into the last episode. Sorry, yeah, oh, just for that, was a, that was a bit of fun but, for but myself. Kudos to you.
0: But you know, I was saying they were all there talking quite naturally, and in this film, there's a lot of that naturalistic way people talk to one another, and I like the fact that it's it's a film that's kind of it's based around like the consequences of working in an industry that is taboo but and the family bonds and the extended family bonds that these characters build and you know the you know the almost comedy dark darkness of the material you know i think that's a great way of saying it's um it's wonderfully well written it's you know very well made um it's got some amazing camera work for the for the time you know i think I think we always have to distinguish there's basically camera, camera work before the Matrix and camera work <laughs> after the Matrix. And, um, you know, there's the great beginning shot where they go through uh, into the club and it's one continuous tracking shot. And then there's the bit where the girl's going into the pool um, and it goes under the water and music changes uh, completely there. You know, it's it's got some, just some great elements to it. Um, you know, it's a com- it's morally ambiguous, I find, as well um it, it it doesn't condemn these people but it shows the world's reaction to the lifestyles they choose to live um it's also um it can be distressing at times you know there's the seat there's a few scenes that are, are quite dark um but more than dark you know the bit with book in the um in the donut shot that's really dark you know he's it's to show how dark that scene is he's in a completely white tuxedo or <laughs> white suit and he's got blood all over him um yeah it's got an amazing you know so it's got an amazing soundtrack as i mentioned um it's very evocative of a particular time and place um that really comes across so dynamically within its within its within the you know within the screen and you know you feel like even you know again you know neither of us were born in you know this the 70s or in the 60s we didn't live through disco we didn't live through all of that but you can definitely feel like you're part of that world you know in this film that's something i think is really great um yeah I, i i love the fact that it's a huge ensemble piece you know i've written down here it's so it's got these are the people I've picked out, so it's got Mark Walbo, Burt Reynolds, Julia Moore, Heather Graham, Don Cheadle, John C. Riley, William H. Macy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Nicole Ari Parker, Luis Guzman, <laughs> Robert Ridgely, uh, Nina Hartley, Ricky Jay, uh, Phil Baker Hall, Alfred Molina Thomas Jane and there's probably a couple of more there that I could have included that I probably missed out but I thought I'd keep the list down at this point.
1: Well that's the impressive thing is that so many of those actors that you just listed are mm-hmm. now iconic but then were not and that's you know makes a great eye, it means that that they may have been made by the likes of Paul Thomas Anderson, you know people like John C. Riley had been in so little at this point and now is you know world famous. Yeah
0: yeah um, yeah, I mean, I remember when I first saw this film, I think maybe in the early 2000s, maybe, I was probably far too young to really be watching it, yeah. <laughs> to be brutally honest. Um, you know, once again, a shout out to Channel 4 and its, uh, you know, its watershed. Uh... Right, here's, was the watershed, bang, porn. <laughs> porn
1: here. some maybe photo documentaries about porn and Ibiza, Channel 5, yeah. erotic thriller. Yeah, there you go. Friday Night ideas. Sorted. <laughs> <laughs> Friday Night Sorted, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really keeping the kids off the streets it really did
0: i mean it really you know but um yeah so i can't remember my point now um yeah i, I it, it's one of those films where something i like about it is there okay so there there is some like a bit special about the characters in it you know obviously as we mentioned uh, Dirk Dig a massive penis you know <laughs> you know roller girl and um and amber what she called amber yeah amber waves Hi, oh, yeah. um the you know the good looking women do you know what I mean they're not you know they're not una- you know they're not unattractive people you know it's it's this hyper sexualized world of porn obviously so they have got like he said he's got something about them but they're not the smartest people in the world you know you're not watching a beautiful mind or you know something where all the characters are you know the smartest people in the room and you know that kind of like you know like say here's a good example Inception in Inception all the characters are pretty flawless in what they do, they're all smart people. They're all really good at their job. They're all amazing. They're not going out getting absolutely whacked off their tits, <laughs> you know, and enjoying the hedonistic lifestyle. Then they're, they're concerned with family. They're concerned with. you are not seeing the um, deleted scenes then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they're they're the professionals wearing this. These are people who, you know, there's a scene where Roller Girl goes into school she sits down, doesn't know what she's doing on the exam and she leaves because she's not a smart person. You know, she's, she's, you know, she's good looking, but she's not intelligent, <laughs> you know, um, Dirk again, isn't an intelligent person. He's, you know, his mother lambasts him for, he's going to cause him a bum and he says he'll never amount to anything. And that he's you know, she's very horrible, but she's kind of calling out his character at a very young age. Um, and I think these are just people doing the best they can in life rather than they're amazing at lots of different things and are, we're always going to succeed. I It's think interesting that's...
1: you say that. I can't remember who it was, but there was somebody on uh, BBC's Desert Island Discs who was a bit of a outcast, a bit of a weirdo as a teenager. And they, they said a beautiful line, which I don't know it comes from anywhere. They said, you know, a fam- um, a group of geeks is a family. You know, these outcasts. And you're right, when, when Don Cheadle's character goes to try and get a bank loan, He's seen as you know the seedy sort of person, even though he's trying to make it on his own. And they have, they have Jack as the father figure. They have Amber as their mother figure. Interestingly, Jack doesn't. He's obviously a very sexual person, but he's never seen having sex. He's never seen mm. sort of even remotely having sex. Maybe maybe saying vaguely lewd things at people. But yeah, there's a. I mean, Amber has sex with everyone. But there is a familial aspect to them, isn't there? Even though you know Julianne Moore is not can't be more than 10 years older than Heather Graham, possibly not even close to 10 years older than Heather Graham, uh, somehow there is a there is a family dynamic there. And Matt Wilberg, he so, looks so young. He doesn't quite look 17, but he's very fresh-faced and, you know.
0: Yeah, I was thinking when I was watching it um, that they do really well to make him look really young in the beginning scenes. Um, there is an innocence to that character, but also that you know he he is an exploited figure i think at the beginning and i think he's trying not to be exploited to a point and and you know when he's you know because the story arc itself is the rise fall and redemption of this young man growing up in the san fernando valley in the 70s and 80s and um, his maybe his loss of innocence to a point but him knowing that he you know you can still be you can still be sexual but also be naive and innocent, which is quite a, a weird dichotomy. We usually associate that uh, sexual prowess is coupled with, you know, a world world wariness and a street wiseness where they actually, in, in actual fact, it's the minimum requirement of sex is to, to, <laughs> to be able to, you know, to know about the world. You just know, need to know where to put it and how to do it. It's not a... Yeah,
1: and I mean, not... a lot of that comes down to Jack, really, you know, um, Dirk or Eddie's character is very sort of naive uh, you know, young lad like you say, clearly has been exploited when he asks, you know, do you want five or ten when he's uh, waiting at the uh, at the bar and and yet, yeah, he sort of has a um, you know, enthusiasm of a new kid at work sort of thing, but it just so happens that it's going into the porn industry and actually sort of, do, you do see that a lot of the girls are very young and you think, you know, they, they might be doing this seedy exploitative thing, but they are it is this lovely little young family isn't
0: it it's uh yeah mm, yeah for sure they are definitely yeah uh, yeah it's that you know it, there is a it, it is it, it's in not inherently but it can be viewed as a an exploitative industry Yeah. um you know not everyone who works in it is doing is doing it because it's their first cho- you know a lot of them, it's not their first choice and i'm not going to moralize here about the porn industry i'm not qualified to even <laughs> oh, vaguely have, I've done a lot of oh, research <laughs> yeah on your mobile phone let know. <laughs> yeah
1: i really committed <laughs> to it
0: yeah <laughs> but yeah so i'm not you know and i think that's one of the the achievements of this film one of the reasons i recommend it is because this could be a film about group of restaurateurs, you know, they could be, you know, he could be the best chef in the world or something like that. And it could be the, the inherent vices around chefing and, you know, the, the success that comes with being a, you know, a world leader in that or, a, you know, a local, you know, a local success and making lots of money and, you know, the, the drugs and the, 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 the recognition that comes and then, you know, the same thing could happen. It just happens to be about pornography. I think personally. Yeah, That's you're right. I how mean, I've it's kind of it's
1: weirdly it. se- it's very it's so sexual the film, but actually isn't exploitation cinema. It's not let's just throw some tits at a screen and people will like it sort of thing, you know. Mm. Um and it yeah, it does manage to be very sexy whilst showing actually not that much at all. Um, yeah, I mean I don't think I've ever had an erection for seventy five minutes, but um <laughs> <laughs> I found a new a new experience really.
0: Okay, that's well <laughs> you've lost me now. Not gonna lie. Uh moving swiftly on. Um so yeah, so the reason I recommend it to you is well, you're love of Paul Thomas Anderson films, I think, first and foremost. Um, I also think that you quite enjoy um that kind of filmmaking as well. That's explorative and character study and shows you a piece of people's day-in, day-out lives and the decisions they make and the mistakes they make. You know, I think it's that whole... You know, one thing I like about it is that they make mistakes. Do you know what I mean? The people may be living with their mistakes. Um, I think that's quite an interesting part of the film. You know, you see... You know, part of the f- Dirk's fall is that he's he gets addicted to drugs and his life then revolves around taking drugs for however long until he runs out of money and starts having to exhibit himself and masturbate. To like what he perceives as a gay man looking to, you know, do something seedy for a few dollars essentially. So I think that's quite fascinating in the, in See, that respect.
1: I saw it as a as a an essay on inflation because he's gone from five or ten to twenty dollars by the end of the film. Five years later. <laughs> I mean, if that's not inflation, yeah. The I mean, I was... and space raiders really need to get their act together.
0: I mean, when I was watching it, I was also thinking about uh, fiscal responsibilities yeah. as well. <laughs> but yeah. yeah so yeah i think the paul thomas anderson side of it like i said the character study side of it the the you know there there is an interest in fact that it is based around you know the porn industry you know there's there's an endless fascination with that industry i think in in most people you know well not in most people but you know there, there is an inherently fascinating industry because it's selling it's selling titillation and lust and things like that and not all industries can say that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> you mean, know, it's
1: it's a big debate in film criticism and you know film appreciation. What's this film about? And you know, one of our favorite film shows, Kermode and Mayo, they often talk about. You know, Jaws is not about a shark. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is not about spying. This film is not really about porn.
0: No. Um, and I think, yeah. and well, yeah, I think that would... I think that is why I'd recommend. That's why I think you would like it, and that's why I would recommend it to you because. It's about people and their lives
1: was there any was there any hesitation was there is there a doubt in your mind that I would like it what what's bad about the film is there anything I wouldn't like about the film
0: um it's a little long. I think there's a few scenes that are there that necessarily shouldn't be there I, th- I think it's funny when you're watching it the whole scenes where they're they're making the song but I, I you could probably cut that out to be honest with you um
1: yeah, I suppose that's kind of um it's part yeah. of the downfall. It's they're now self-deluded as well as being pathetic.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's kind of the... <laughs> that's something is um, awful. I, on watching it again because I hadn't seen it for quite a number of years, um, I didn't realise how little screen time William H Macy's character gets, mm. and that his relationship literally is maybe two of you know the relationship that he has with his wife. I, I and the end of that relationship and the, the brutality of it is, I didn't realise that it was maybe two or three scenes it's that you so get to see. it's funny you
1: say that. Uh, listeners won't know this, but right now I'm watching the film in the background, muted, just to have these ideas going around in my mind. I'm literally at one hour nineteen. William Mace has just walked in and his wife for a third time, and he's just somebody going up to the car uh, to, yeah, basically end his participation in this film, really, and really to show the second half of the film. It's re- it's actually quite neat. It's 1 hour 20 before that and then 1 hour 8 minutes after that.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, coming up after the break, we're going to find out whether Sam likes Boogie Nights or not. So, welcome back uh, to Please Watch This. So now we're going to have what some thinks are Boogie Nights. So Sam, what did you think of Boogie Nights?
1: I think it's fair to say that it's no surprise that I liked this film a lot. Get in. Is that a surprise to you, Hugh?
0: No, it's not a surprise to me whatsoever, to be honest. <laughs> good, I, good. I, I knew that you were going to like it. I think, unusually for you, and it's going to be fascinating to see if you do this, and now I'm giving you the idea, so you probably are or are, oh, you either are going to do it or you're going to avoid doing it, is... Because you've seen other Paul Thomas Anderson works before this one, I'm I'm, like if I when I watch, say, there will be blood and the master, I'll be kind of harking back to this because this is the first Paul Thomas Anderson film I saw. Where with you? Well, it came out in '97. I saw it probably in two thousand two, three, maybe four.
1: For a bit of context, which other films of his have you seen? Because I think we've got a few on our list actually.
0: Um, So I've seen about 20 minutes of There Will Be Blood, and right. I haven't seen the others, unfortunately.
1: Okay, so it's something we're going to drip in over the next two years, I reckon, listener. Yeah, I'm going to get you to watch The Master, I'm going to get you to watch just about a bunch of other uh, PTA films, so look forward to that.
0: Yeah, but yeah, so I'm sorry, to finish my point is, it? it I think what is going to be unusual because you're going to analyse it through, or criticise it, or you know give your opinion on it based on his later work and what you've seen and obviously this might be it might i've not seen the others but this might be a bit rougher or it might be a very different style um it may be like you know you've seen the development of a filmmaker into his 30s and 40s rather than when he was very young in his you know in his late 20s as he was here he was 27 when he made this film so it's yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how you go from that point of view in terms of your analysis.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one thing about Paul Thomas Anderson is he does not like a tight narrative. Definitely not. <laughs> I, and you'll see that in the other films. I mean, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't like a, a tight narrative, and so that's why he has him in several of his films. I mean, sure, I'm sure there's, there's some evolution and, and so on, but actually there's, there's so many tonal you know um, similarities similarities between this and others and there's a lot of there's a lot of long takes and tracking shots which I don't know what it is about a long tracking shot that I love so much on one hand I do it almost takes me out of the film because I'm thinking wow that's impressive they did that all in one take that actor must have really honed that and and so on and from a technical point of view how did they do that similar with them not a Paul Thomas Anderson film, but the film Children of Men, lots of long mm. takes one where there's loads of uh, you know, they're in a car and people are rampaging and so on and um, you do sort of look back at the technical mastery and the, the dedication that's needed for it but on the other hand it just it feels less, it feels more authentic, you know, there's, there's not so many cuts it doesn't feel like a film it feels like a reality
0: Yeah, like a documentary sort of
1: Yeah, and especially this film, it's it's a period piece, but I'd, I'd see an actor who's maybe already quite old by this mm. time this came out. So the, um, oh gosh, I've forgotten his name now. Something Hall. Um, he plays the chap who's who's presenting the idea to Jack that they should turn to videotape.
0: Oh, Philip Baker Hall.
1: That's right. And I think, while wow, you're already quite old in this. And then I think, oh, it's not 40 years old, this film. It's only 20 years old. And that's more more understandable now.
0: Yeah. I think in terms of this film, actually, the fact that it is a period piece, kind of almost, you could imagine it being made like in the early '80s and saying, "Oh, look at this wild ride we've just been on in the last five years." In terms of yeah, this it's industry. Like
1: instant nostalgia for it, and Paul Thomas Anderson was born in I think 1970, mm. so he really can't be as nostalgic as, <laughs> uh, you know, as his cast, as some members of his cast, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, speaking.
0: Sorry to interrupt, but speaking of Hall, he was in the film originally that, uh, the, like the This Is Spinal Tap documentary, mockumentary style film that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson made back in 1988. Um, when he was, oh yeah, that he was, um, he was actually Jack's character in this film, and it was called The Story of Dirt Diggler or something like that. Right. I see. Yeah. So he actually went from being uh, from. No, sorry, it was sorry, I tell a lie, it wasn't Philip Baker Hall, it was Robert Ridgely, it was the Colonel. The Colonel was originally right, yeah. um was was Jack and um because his father knew him and that's how he got him into his son's little documentary documentary film.
1: Excellent. And yeah. I think Jack is so well cast as Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds is somebody who I'd always always considered as being novelty. You know, probably cool in his day, but a bit kind of David Hasselhoff, a bit latter-day William Shatner. And I think I'm right in saying you hated this film. Yeah, for me, it's the best thing he's ever done. He's brilliant in it.
0: Yeah, he's he's not overacting, which I think is important. He just he's kind of doing that thing that a, a, an actor like Burt Reynolds does is he just reads the lines and he is Burt Reynolds <laughs> you know he he's, just has he's,
1: a, he's got a real paternal cool yeah he's got a, rather than a sexy cool he's got
0: gravitas hasn't he that's just yeah inherent in his character and in his acting style um, you think
1: this guy's earned this you know he's, he's lived it and it, yeah and that wave of silver hair is just Immaculate every time. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean that's the old Hollywood aesthetic, I guess. Um, yeah. So yeah. So what did you think of it then? So specifically. What's
1: yeah, your, I mean. Uh,
0: what's your favourite scene?
1: My favourite scene. My favourite scene has to be Alfred Molina. Um, you know the drug dealer going crazy, and Cosmo comes out, and he's just setting off firecrackers. And oh, that's he's Cosmo. He's Chinese. I think that's my favourite scene. Yeah, Jesse's girl. Dirk's Jesse's girl. <laughs> that he's a
0: per- <laughs> what he say? Sexy. He goes, he goes. Uh, Ricky Springfield is a buddy of mine. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just brilliant because it's just like, what is this world they've stepped into? And it really kind of shows de- the degradation that Dirk's got to, and and what, who he's hanging around with, and what they're doing, you know, baking powder and all that. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's mad, and it's it's the madness of that downfall and. It kind of exemplifies what I really liked about the film, which was about about two thirds of the way through. I thought, oh, it's like a, it's a hangover, you know, it's uh, it's drugs, it's it's sex and rock and rolls, It's it's so brilliant and stylish and cool, and everybody's welcome and so on. And then it just gets awful, you know, it's drug addiction and it's it's a hangover, it's post-coital guilt, and it's all those things, um, and that really showed the the craziness of it. Kind of linking to that for the mm. third or fourth time in a week in a row, I'm going to mention Community. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like Alienating people who never watch Community,
0: or those who remember it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I watched it. I think I only watched it once, um, but well, like once uh, through. I've not gone back and watched it.
1: Watch it again. You'll 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 know films better. And um, there's a bit where they're giving a um, drug talk to at-risk youths, and Pierce's character really wants to play up his character so he's essentially bribed Annie who's running it and scripting it and he comes out and he's playing drugs and he wants a good part, so he plays to the crowd, and they love him. And they all start chanting, "We want drugs! We want drugs!" <laughs> in the intermission, and then they fire Pierce because they find out he's been bribing. And Chang, who's a you know less stable, um, steps in as drugs, and he comes out as drugs, and he's he's like, "Ah, you thought it was going to be fun all the time, huh?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he's like the new face of drugs. Now that they're dependent on him, and that's really this film. And it's so, like I said earlier, it's really neat. It's you know about an hour and twenty before it's the good times, they get to that that New Year's party, 1980, you know, Jimi Hendrix is dead, Johnny, Mo- um, Johnny Morrison, Jim Morrison is dead, Janice Joplin is dead, it's the 80s, oh shit, I've got the wrong decade, they died in the,
0: the <laughs> Well, Jim Morrison died in the, in the, <laughs> they all died in the 70s. I think 19, he died in the 70s, I can't remember when Joplin died, but Jimi Hendrix died. They all died, died. In about
1: six months of each other to, to end the 60s. This yeah. is the sort of, you know, decade after equivalent, let's, okay, John Lennon's dead, John Lennon's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Marley's about to die. To be fair, Jim Morrison
0: died in the 70s, not the 60s. Well, that's why I mean,
1: he died in 1970. Same as Jim Morrison. Did Marx he? Janis Joplin, I think, I thought he died in... Oh, I thought
0: he died in... I thought he died in 77.
1: I don't get that Well, enough. you're seven years out. But, I know, clearly you're am, yeah. Like, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's the end of the decade. And it's quite a neat way of, of illustrating this this film is changing. This is going to be no longer pre-AIDS. This is going to be, you know deep in the Coke era, now we're going to get AIDS quite soon, uh, everything's fucked.
0: <laughs> yeah, something the film doesn't touch on, actually, which I now, in mm. retrospect, thought it, it may... Would
1: fit, it would fit very well, wouldn't it, actually, yeah, if you somebody think... just ended up with AIDS? Yeah. yeah
0: um, but, you know, a lot. some of the characters don't have a happy ending, do you know what I mean? Um, uh, obviously, um, William H. Macy's character, uh, what's he called, little...
1: Little Bill, little Bill, that's it. little bill so actually. undermining, isn't it? Don't worry, little Bill. yeah, <laughs> I know your wife's having sex over there. you know that's little... one of my favorite lines, actually. um Bill's just like, right, I've seen my wife having sex with another guy again, and he's trying to speak to the um i forgot his name. he's trying to speak to one of the other crew members what, the cameraman uh, Ricky J that's right, yeah and, <laughs> and and he says, you know, my fucking wife has some idiot stick in her, and he goes anyway listen <laughs> you know, James, like, anyway listen and it's like what yeah let's talk
0: um, shop and he's like I can't yeah, really concentrate and, and it, some guy's
1: there's got also, there's also there's also funny a dick in my girl or something like that he's yeah but she's got dick in her dick ass dick in my wife's dick that's it <laughs> but as he gets it the wrong way around though. I don't know if that's intentional yeah I think I,
0: I thought that I was like oh they've missed they've he's got his line the wrong way around, hasn't he? Yeah. They've kept it in because... The subtitles corrected it as well. Oh, that's awful. Which is interesting. But I think it, yeah. that was a good, I thought it was a good decision because I was like, oh, well, if you were that stressed out, you might do a spoonerism <laughs> by accident. Yeah. yeah. So I liked it. I did like that, even though it looks wrong, but that's kind of how people talk when they're stressed out. People do make mistakes, which is quite, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. That's, and, and
1: that, you know, it, that party, it's his death, obviously his wife's death and whoever mm. she's having sex with. It's when um, Dirk first does cocaine mm. in that party. It's when Philip Seymour Hoffman tries it on with Dirk and kind of stops yeah. their relationship. That party and the 80s. I mean, the 80s is my least favourite decade, despite the fact that I was born in the
0: 80s. I mean, um, I, I can't. Aesthetically. And, you know. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, I can't job. I was only there for just shy of two years of it, so I didn't make any choices, you know. I was...
1: Yeah, I made a solid eight-month appearance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A cameo, you might say.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that things go, they, they do take a turn for the worst in the 80s, don't they, in that film. As soon as it's that the new year, that's when um, that character turns up and starts. Uh, Philip Baker Hall's character, Floyd uh, Gondoli, turns up and tells Jack, you know, it's all about uh, videotape now and, you know, cinema's Porn cinema was essentially dead, and Jack Jack can't let go, and basically says, you know, chastises him and gets angry about what's happening. And, you know, he's... it's so
1: alien to think of a time when porn was for theatres. Yeah, it was on film. I
0: mean,
1: yeah. I mean, these days it's alien that
0: it was ever on videotapes. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, who's who's cleaning those screens? You know, who's cleaning oh. the cinemas? Because I and That's all I was thinking about. Like the you know cinema seats are. They, they, they're quite spongy they take a lot in, oh, I mean so.
0: they're bad now Did you imagine <laughs> they would have been like in, in, a, in one of those cinemas in the 70s Ugh. oh dear and, yeah I mean
1: yeah, yeah let's that's let's... why I remember the 70s as disco and fun not all the
0: you know the racism and the coming the uh, Cinderella. <laughs> Not the gist, and um, yeah, it was. They probably just had UV lights that they turned on if there was a fire, oh instead God. of like getting lights installed in the yards. <laughs> oh no, the UV lights on—we're oh, in trouble. Um, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I mean,
1: what was your favourite scene? I don't know if you've if you've told me. Uh,
0: You slipped it in earlier, um, pun intended.
1: <laughs> Is that your favourite line or your favourite scene?
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, it's. The uh, uh, Jesse's Girl scene with Alfred right, Molina. Yeah. I mean, he just steals the show for about ten minutes, doesn't he, in that?
1: It's such a weird departure from the film. It makes sense in context, but it's just like... Yeah. We are at a whole new... This is a whole new... This is not part of the A-plot that, that I was following at all. This has gone crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it does make me wonder, like... You know, with... You know, it's one of those scenes where it's either... I think it might be one of those where they've really done a really good job in editing like nothing, not to take anything away from the actors or the dialogue but that could have fallen flat on its face that scene so badly <laughs> it could have been so cringe but it's but the the way they edit it you know they have the long the long um uh, close up on Digler and he's like basically sat there realizing that something's about to go down but um you know he's there listening to all the crazy coming out of Alfred Molina's character, and uh, yeah, it's it's just amazing. Um,
1: the firecrackers is just such a good decision, and I don't know how you come up with a decision like that because it's weird enough and it's tense enough because they're trying to sell, they're trying to get money for baking powder from a drug dealer with mm. a with an armed guard, mm. and just the firecrackers, just everyone's on edge. The listeners on, you know, the viewers on edge. They're, they're, everybody's on edge. There, it's just yeah. It's lost its mind though. Yeah, the
0: tension in that scene is amazing because obviously it's just it's a good it's a good exploration of how to make a scene tense because you know it's you know um you know what's what they're trying to do but you don't but it, it's it's one of those good, because you know what they're trying to do but you don't know as an audience um that uh Thomas Jane's characters basically there to get Everything off this guy, rather than just the money yeah, that they were. That's a really to do. good
1: reveal, actually, because yeah. yeah, and also Thomas Jane. I had no idea he was going to be there. It. It was like Frank Castle. What are you doing here? <laughs> and uh, and also he was in a TV show that I watched the first season of called Hung, where he plays oh, is that Thomas a guy Jane that? who's got a, a big willy of his own, and he you know decides to make money out of it. And I was just like, that's a odd mm. bit of symmetry.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, the only thing I've seen him in is The Expanse. Um, which is really good if you've ever seen it. Does that
1: mean you haven't seen the film The Mist? That's correct. Right, that's a future episode then. Okay, well I'll... Another Stephen King, Frank Darabont production, so yeah that's... that's Fair enough. I... That's that in. I'll, that's I'll make a note. I'm
0: surprised that uh, I've not seen it and if it's such a good film. But yeah, that was my favourite scene. The other scene that stayed with me for a long time when I first saw the film, obviously there's the bit where um, as mentioned earlier with Don Cheadle in the donut shop, that I remember that scene from years after I saw it. Um, Upon watching it again, there's a couple of good scenes that I remember. You know, the one with, um, you know, when he first goes to shoot the porno and the the camera just zooms in on the lens.
1: Oh, yeah. This film, it just, it's more erotic about its portrayal of film sometimes. Yeah. You know, there's the, in Dirk's first scene and it's whirring and you see, you know, it just fends and it's it's quite, that's quite... um, Erotic, almost, and you know the the worrying of the lens, and yeah, yeah. yeah loves film, <laughs> and it's a
0: great way to get around. Not really, obviously, it's hard to. I wasn't. It's hard to make films about hardcore pornography and not being able to show hardcore pornography.
1: Yeah, because because it could have so easily been. I don't know if you've seen films like Short Bus or whatever films no. that are basically porn with narrative and story that get released on DVD. It could have so easily been that, but actually. Yeah, it's quite tame, really, sexually, compared to some films that have it as a byproduct and they're just aiming to titillate the audience. This is actually about uh, porn, but actually, you don't, It's not really that that sexy.
0: No, not at all. Um, that's that's the point, I suppose. It is. It's a business, and you're seeing the the business side of it quite often. Um, the only I've just remembered
1: a, another favorite line. By the way, oh, sorry go when they start changing to videotape, and Dirk's on his way out after he's been fired, there's the two girls are in the hot tub, and he says, "Right now, now, uh, you know, take a grab her um, panties or something," and she starts licking it, and he says, "That's really good technically, but there's not much passion. We're looking for passion here. <laughs> 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 That's really good technically, <laughs> and it sort of suits that." So, what
0: is your is that what is your favorite line of the film specifically? Because oh, there is so many great lines to choose from. There is, and. It, and it is one of those kind of films that is a bit of a, a, a you know a good line fest because it is quite a heavily heavy dialogue film, obviously. Because it's I noted
1: quite a lot down.
0: Sorry. I, um, yeah. I noted quite a lot of lines down. I liked
1: Dirk at the end of his first saying, "I can do it again if you need a close up." Yeah. You know, completely, you know, and. Um, uh, yeah i mean i think my favorite line and the one that annoyed you probably the most was when he talks about you know when napoleon was king you know in the roman empire <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that line it's great how many mistakes can you make it's like you know use the force
0: <laughs> yeah use the force harry harry <laughs> john <Yeah>. luke picard
1: <laughs>
0: yeah that's uh yeah. um, I, I do remember that line yeah it's very funny but that's like i said that shows the kind of the vulnerability almost most of these characters because they're not they don't know about things they just know names they know <laughs> I don't
1: know all this industry jargon okay YPMP <laughs> it's your problem my problem <laughs> um, they're quite stupid but they they find that family together don't they yeah
0: my favorite line is the bit where um he meets the colonel for the first time at the party and he just <laughs> says the, the colonel goes I'm looking forward to seeing you in action jack says you've got a great big cock he goes i <laughs> guess so may i see it Really, please. I say it really, please. Well, thank you, Eddie. <laughs> yeah. And he just and he has, has that stick
1: on his eyes, and he's just he's just making exactly the same face <laughs> for about ten seconds. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I think that that kind of harks back to The Shining last week, where you know you see the reactions, <laughs> don't you? You see the reactions of the characters before you, the you actually see the the horror. Where in this case, before you see the the, the monster, yeah, something that's extremely different to what most people have
1: <laughs> and we should probably talk about the final scene you know because it it's like where he shows his uh his um Oh, uh, yeah, where shows is, is blessing. Um, it's like Pulp Fiction. There's a lot of Samaritans doing this in Pulp Fiction stylistically, but in Pulp Fiction, obviously, you've got the briefcase and you don't know what's in it. It's mm. almost as though the final shot of Pulp Fiction is showing what's in the briefcase. Yeah. You know, that's what they're kind of doing there. They're showing what's been hidden to the audience this whole time.
0: Here's a question Do you think that was a good idea or a bad idea to actually show? Because they could never show, because of censorship laws, they could never show it erect, right? So, yeah. do you think it was a good idea to show it flaccid or do you think they should have just shown maybe like a shadow of it or something like <laughs> that to show, to see its, its you know, its potential? Because I know that you can show a shadow of an erect penis. I don't know why I know this, but I just know this, right? This is one of these things I just kind of know.
1: <laughs> and what applications have you been making to what bodies?
0: Been, <laughs> I mean, uh, look, with... that's between me and my uh, C D
1: <laughs> Your internet service provider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no I think it was. I think it was because everybody's been looking at this whole film and we haven't seen it and that's kind of been what's driven the whole bloody film. Mm. It's it's quite a funny way to end a film. Just like, "Yeah, I'm going to I am I am a star." Yeah. Whap, whap it out. Yeah.
0: That's um Yeah, I think I think it's it it comes at the probably the right time because you're like what is everyone going on about? Ah, oh, yes, here, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a that's great a, big know, giant that's, cock.
1: <laughs> that's the really funny thing in this era of, um, you know, tubable porn stuff. A big penis is not enough to be the biggest name in porn anymore because there's plenty of them that are enormous. Mm. You know, they're the proliferated. Whereby, you know, Ron Jeremy is kind of. To the public consciousness, the sort of Dirk Diggler, somebody who has an enormous penis, and therefore he's a household name and he's in music videos and so on. Mm. But that's really not enough now, is it? Really, to just have a foot long of a thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> From being on I do know many. I don't know any porn stars' <laughs> they're, names. They're
1: not, they're not interested.
0: <laughs> I tend, you know, when you watch porn, I don't tend to try and find out the name of the male performers. You know,
1: this is what it's I'm talking about. Is an area a, he's a I'm superstar. interested in. He's a superstar, and it, you know, it's a basically a disposable uh, <laughs> glands. <laughs> it's a disposable organ,
0: okay. uh, and the
1: women make a lot more money. Anyway, yeah, let's move yeah. away from this. I mean, the
0: one thing I do know there is, I think it's the one, isn't it like the one industry in the world or something that, <laughs> seriously, that uh, women make more money than men in it? Yeah, I mean, uh,
1: yeah. I can't think of any more, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could get into the kind of... Ethical sur- implications, sur- surrogate
1: of mothers, that. surrogate mothers. We would make more out of that than yes. Spending. That's probably the other. Which to me is a travesty. I
0: think where it's uh, both genders participate in the uh, yeah. in the actual. Uh, work. <laughs> you know, you, I mean, good luck being a male surrogate mother. <laughs> Listen, I'm trying.
1: I'm really trying. But yeah. it's, a really, it's a woman's game out there.
0: Again, that's between you and your internet service provider. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, uh, here's another thing, right, for this film. Uh, I, I really love this film. There's really not much wrong with it. There is something in this film that's symptomatic of something. Paul, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman mm-hmm. is one of the best... Act as ever and he's so good at being a commanding presence in the way that say Burt Reynolds is in this film mm-hmm. and he, he's got so few roles like that it's really only in the last five or ten years five to six years of his life that he got roles which were serious him being um, gravelly not maybe not gravelly voiced but deep voiced paternal type figures and that's what we'll experience in the master So many of his roles, in the 90s and early early noughties, were him being a bit of a creep, him being quite sycophantic, you know, in mm. things like, um, blimey, however, I forgot the name of it, Cohen Brothers, Jeff Bridges. Um,
0: oh, um, uh, The Dude. The Big Lebowski.
1: Big Lebowski. In that, he's just a sycophant, um, you know, and he's very weak and so on. In a lot of films, he's a bit of a weirdo, or he's quite a bit of a freak and so on. There's so few films where we get to see, actually, what he does so well. There's a great film from nineteen ninety three I think called Leap of Faith where Steve Martin plays a kind of con man healer type person and he's just he's just a lackey, really. Mm. He's brilliant in this film of what he's trying to do and what he's aiming to do. But it's it's really not getting the best out of him and it wasn't until I think about twenty thirteen or whenever The Master came out, maybe even earlier than that, twenty twelve.
0: I mean he was yeah. in he was in Mission Impossible three, wasn't he, as the the villain in that so Well
1: this is what I mean this is after The Master Two thousand three sort of films where he gets to Oh wait, sorry. He's into Oh, right, well, Oh, two thousand four. I, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Is he playing like a tough? You know,
0: um, he potential type. He just plays. I can't even remember. What the, I mean, I don't think people like Mission Impossible films. <laughs> um, they're okay.
1: <laughs> I think, I, don't, I don't know who they are, but I think the villains. Some are, people are buying those tickets. Yeah.
0: I think the villains are a bit rubbish in it, um, and yeah, I think it was. I at the time it was I think it was the film that came out after he won the Oscar for Capote. So right he... so 2006 probably then. Yeah, it might have been as late as 2006, but he um he's pretty like he's just villainous. He's a bit a bit two-dimensional. Um That's it. I, it but he's it, good. It, it,
1: it, I haven't I haven't seen a Mission Impossible for about 15 years. Mm. I get the sense that it's like <laughs> born never happened.
0: Uh a little bit, yeah. It's yeah. more it's kind of more let's watch a man in his late forties early fifties uh push his body to the limit and do crazy stunts
1: yeah, yeah. His ankle, and they're yeah. pretty cool yeah.
0: stunts, don't get me wrong, but it is it is it's a movie, it's not a film if that makes sense, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, it's blo it's a yeah, it's a blockbuster chewing gum, yeah, and that's the great thing about the film we're watching today, actually boogie Nights it's so cinematic, you know, there's no big stunts and whatnot, but it is so cinematic in in its shots, in its aesthetic. It, it's cool. There's some films where you go, you know what, that's like um, a feature-length version of a TV show. Yeah. This is a film.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is definitely, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Um, one thing I would like to talk about when it comes to, you know, let's, you know, we both like this film. It's a very good film. I'm going to, you know, I've, you know, I'll give it a high rating any day of the week. You know, that's why I recommended it to you as soon as I found out that you hadn't actually seen it. I mean, we literally did it, the next week after I found out you hadn't seen it. Um, It was urgent. Yeah, it it had to be done, you know. Um, So, you know, the moral and ethical side of it is not something I can talk too much about it, but I think there's an interesting side to films like this is that when they look at, say, you know, a a vice industry like pornography or uh, prostitution or um, drugs, uh, you know, like drug dealing, they tend to, obviously get actors who, you know, in this case you got a lot of A-list actors in the, in the end you got Burt Reynolds, Julianne Moore, uh, Mark Wahlberg, you know, they've all
1: but they weren't A-list actors.
0: And I mean, uh, no, then they weren't at they weren't the time, either. except for yeah. Burt Reynolds, let's be fair, he was.
1: He wasn't A-list
0: not in 97, but he had been A-list and he yeah. he was He was the biggest name probably in this film. Yeah, he definitely was. And obviously a lot of other actors from this became well, I would say that you know, what Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, and Philip Seymour, Hoffman, and John C. Riley are the A-listers in this. Maybe Don Cheadle. Um, yeah,
1: there's not that many films. Can you. I, I'm just a, sorry to interrupt but there's a digression. I can't think of many other films that had this many future A-listers and this many future, you know, um, national treasures in it at the age that these people are at.
0: The only thing. Don Cheadle
1: in this is wonderful. He's so yeah. good in this.
0: I mean, that scene where he's just sat on his own at the party dressed. And he just looks glum, as <laughs> miserable as hell. I mean, that is just, that was like, you know, when you watch a film for the third or fourth time, that's the little things you pick up on, is like how yeah. brilliant that scene is, because we've all kind of been there. We've been at a party as that we not As a enjoyed.
1: tableau, as an image, that yeah. he really captures He's trying a new look out. Yeah, that's
0: yeah and it's not quite worked. Um, yeah, so, i oh, have put me off my point now. <laughs> I'm trying to remember Sorry. what i was saying. Yeah. But no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, it can't have been that good. Um, but yeah, so I think lots of things that I can't remember. I <laughs> Every week. You were talking about
1: high ratings and then...
0: Oh yeah, that was it. So you they get the... When Hollywood looks at the porn industry it tends to cast you know, good actors in the roles. You know, say what you want about Mark Wahlberg's back catalogue. When he, I think personally when he's got a good script, a good director he's... An excellent actor, there's no doubt about it.
1: I want to really like him, but he does a lot of crap, yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: I mean, have you seen The Departed?
1: I have, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, he steals this film for me. Yeah,
1: from some really good actors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's in some other We might end up one day doing Pain and Gain. I've got a friend who really wants us to do Pain oh, and Gain, so we d- might end up doing that, Yeah, maybe. But he's in those, you know, he's he's, an, he's a producer and an inspiration Behind the shit entourage, he's got that douche ness. <laughs> he was yeah. Marky Mark for Christ's sake, you know. Yeah,
0: and again, like Julianne Moore went on to win Oscars and mm. or an Oscar. Um, I think I think there's one thing that I always find a little trite about these films is they always use the, they never use the people who rarely are were in are in or were in the porn industry to make these films because a lot of the times the people who are in these films are people who failed to have Hollywood careers you know they didn't go to you know they didn't go to California to be porn stars they went to be you know film stars and they didn't quite make it so it's it's always a bit almost tongue-in-cheek that they're making films about the people who weren't good enough to be in those films yeah So coming up after the break, uh, we're going to find out Sam's rating and we're going to do the quiz. So we're all looking forward to that. Welcome back. So just before we uh, do the quiz and listen to Sam's reaction to uh, Boogie Nights, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do Critics Corner. Uh, we're going to have a look at what uh, critics have thought about the film uh, in and around the time that the uh, film was released. Because I always find it more interesting to find out what people thought at the time rather than almost retrospectively. Because sometimes when something's good, like in this case, critics tend to gush a bit more and don't don't give a don't give their first opinion, which I find sometimes it's not always the best, but it can be the most enlightening. That's definitely
1: something to uh, that I've found from doing this podcast is watching a film a second time so soon after the first time makes such a difference. And I don't know how I would be a film critic going to festivals and only watching a film once at the cinema and then immediately posting the copy because because sometimes the theme isn't clear the first time round or it makes more sense the second, you know. Anyway, yeah. Let's find out what the contemporary critics Yeah, say. so...
0: Um... What do you think the percentage on uh, Rotten Tomato is? Uh, what do you think they rated this? What sort of freshness do you think it got? I think s- something in the 80s. Ooh, really? You think it's that low? Okay, something in the 90s. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Between 90 and 99, what do you think it got?
1: Uh, well... I should confess I went to Metacritic, and that was 85, so
0: that's what skewed my response. I'll say 94%. Oh, you were 1% off. It was 93%. 93%. Sure awesome. is... I, I, I don't know. The only thing I assume is... I don't really use the website, but I thought I'd start using it because it seems to be... It's really
1: almost helpful. meaningless. It's nice, but it's... yeah. It's uh, i found Metacritic to be more useful. So Rotten Tomatoes, 93%. Trying to give us some of the good stuff.
0: So, um, as we always do whenever he's available, we got old Roger Ebert uh, to uh, to give us a quote here about Boogie Nights. So, Roger Ebert said in his review of the film, Boogie Nights has a quality of many great films in that it always seems alive. A movie can be very good and not draw, you, draw us in not involve us in the moment-to-moment sensations of seeing lives as they are lived, and I couldn't agree more with Roger there. He's got the essence of what makes this film uh, amazing. It does draw you in with the dynamic camera movements with the interesting plot with the fascinating characters that you come across and there's no there's no other way to say it and he's got that one spot on.
1: Um, yeah I mean on a, on a vaguely technical level something that the film is really good with those tracking shots is it shows you the geography of the location and a lot of films fall down on that because they just hit, hit into, if it's a fight they'll hit into a wall and they'll go into another room that you've never seen before. You see the whole place And so you know what's happening where, you know who's doing what at what time, and it just really adds to the reality of the situation. It's really
0: alive, as he said. Just from a more kind of nerdy technical point, is it filmed in a studio or is it filmed on location at the house? I'm guessing it's probably both. Um, You know, the budget on this was so low. Can you guess what the budget was on this film? uh, I don't know, like... I'm not really familiar with what the budgets in the 90s were for films like this.
1: Bearing in mind that they had to make a lot of things look like it was the 70s and 80s. Right,
0: so they would have had a big art department um, and obviously they had to pay for, expen like cars and things like that um, in the 30s 30 million? Somewhere around. 12
1: million dollars. Wow i mean and i mean imagine if you tried to get these actors now
0: <laughs> you I mean, know, that'd be... that's per actor <laughs> yeah that would be <laughs> Wahlberg's fee <theme>, wouldn't it <laughs> yeah yeah 12 that's... million
1: i mean and there's so many ambitious like bold outdoor exterior shots and you go well mm-hmm. everything in that looks like the period I, I don't know how they did it other than well, i did. don't know
0: basically <laughs> <stealing> borrowed yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it is yeah like the the, the sets are all dressed aren't they, in a particular way and like, like you said, even that shot when they're in Dirk's house, I mean, they've got the cost of the rooms the, to make them look as if, you know, when they go to the bedroom, you know, they had to do all that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and there's some damn fine cameras in this. Yeah, incredible,
0: incredible, yeah. you know, for what they've yeah. they spent on it. So I've got a review here from 1997 from Emmanuel, Emmanuel Levy uh, from Variety, and they reviewed the film as darkly comic, vastly entertaining and utterly original. Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Night is one of the most ambitious films to have come out of Hollywood in some time. Now that was in 1997, which cool. I would argue is an overstatement <laughs> given that <laughs> there was a lot of good films in the mid to late 90s, I think there were. Sp-
1: but this is this has that iconography, you know. It does, it does borrow and add to things like Goodfellas, that the, those tracking shots and establishing and things like Pulp Fiction, you know, these really iconic 90s films. And I don't have the iconography of this as from the 90s, but I can see why it would be seen as original and revolutionary over time.
0: Yeah, just to alienate a younger audience here for for a moment, this kind of came in that time period in the late 90s where the 70s was very much back in fashion. It was was in the clothes, it was in the stuff you saw on television. So this, this film kind of fitted in with that kind of nostalgia for the 70s.
1: Um, yeah, when I was watching it I fell into that trap of thinking, oh well the 70s wasn't or the 80s certainly wasn't that far behind when the film came out, but it was as far back as this film is to us. Yeah. And I don't know if that sounds like a long time or not a long time at all, but you know, when you see those gaps, it, you know, like when we watch Apocalypse Now 40 years old, mm. 40 years before that was at the start of the second world war. Yeah. That's you know, it's, it's pretty imposing. Yeah. yeah.
0: It well it is what it is, isn't it? It's, it's just a strange kind of thing, isn't it? That that, that film was made tw- 20 years after the time it's showing. And this, and now we're watching this film 22 years after it was made. Yeah. That period, that was 40 years. Towards, is that is now 40 years ago to us, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, the mind boggles. <laughs> yeah, we could. Um, Are there so, any negative reviews? Um, it's, so I didn't find a negative review, but here's what I was saying earlier about you're getting the reaction of um, of somebody who's seen it at the time rather than speaking about it in retrospect, is uh, Christopher Hemblade from Empire Magazine in 2000. Um, although I think this was posted in 2000 on their website. I think it might have been... I suspect it was written earlier. He only gave it four stars. Now, that's mental. <laughs> is that out of ten or out of five? Out of five. So it's a good, <laughs> it's a good rating, but when you think back giving a film like this four stars out of a possible five just seems ludicrous. Um, <laughs> it does. It. And, I remember, and have you seen the film Looper? Just for context. Not all of it. Not exactly. Of it, no. You've not seen all of it. That got five stars <laughs> when that was reviewed by Empire. That's when I stopped reading Empire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not a five star.
1: Because where do you go from that? What, is Shawshank Redemption the same quality as Looper? You, you know, that's... Yeah. I think a, five, a rating out of five is a bit silly. A rating out of 10 is a bit silly, to be honest. Well, because, let's, let's not do down yeah.
0: our rating system. I think a rating system can indicate some quality.
1: <laughs> We're going to switch to 1,000, and I'm not going to have a debate about okay.
0: that. Okay. <laughs> right. Production there, sorted for everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, so. we'll stick with
1: 10 for continuity, for retcon.
0: <laughs> so Christopher Henblade said, Boogie Nights nearly allows itself uh, damn brilliance, but tries too hard as it falls prey to excessive run, running time. Uh, burdening itself with some largely unnecessary subplots and scenes.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, this is one of the things I really love about this film and Paul Thomas Anderson is that I do read a lot of books about how to write films and what makes good writing and so on. Mm. And this breaks so many rules without being without jeopardizing on how on entertainment and quality. You know, it's not a simple three act structure necessarily. It doesn't follow that tight narrative. It's not a this guy needs this and this is his journey getting that. It's not that. Um, but like you said, earlier, it's like character portraits. It's, it's real and it's lived in, and yeah. you don't know really where it's going. And it, I love that it breaks those conventions. I think it's quite episodic
0: in that respect, rather than there being an over. Obviously, the overarching narrative is view their journey through the late 70s, early 80s. And then, but it, it's acts are broken down into, well, Dirk wants to be a porn star. Dirk becomes a porn star. Dirk wants to become the biggest porn star. He becomes the biggest porn star. Then it's obviously Amber wants to see her son. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Don Cheadle's character, he wants to start his own hi-fi business. Um, I, I think the one character who maybe isn't, that well served in this is Roller Girl in terms of her plot. She kind of just is there as like an aesthetic quality. I think it would have, I think there's a great scene with her and Julianne Moore when they're taking cocaine and talking about their lives in the bedroom. That's brilliant. But it's more about uh, Amber's character rather than Roller Girl's character. The only thing we I see... think so, yeah. Um, and I think it, there's even interesting
1: subplots that, that don't seem to add much to the central narrative or anything. There's the character of um Becky Barnett yeah. meeting her future husband getting married. It doesn't lend itself to the main plot or anything, but it just fills in the five or ten years of the narrative of this film.
0: Yeah. I mean there was a deleted scene actually where uh Becky's husband ends up basically doing some domestic violence on her and she calls um she calls Dirk to come over to save her and that's and huh. he basically you know when he rolls up to um Alfred Molina's place, and the car's busted, isn't it? It's all crashed in. Right, yeah. Well, actually, there's the deleted scene has him on the way, and he's um, he's basically like sorting himself out in the car, like he's trying to smoke a cigarette, and um, he crashes into a lamppost. Sorry, not a lamppost, a telegraph pole, and busts the car. Right. Out. But he doesn't then go and save Becky. He just, he's more... It, I think the idea was it was showing the character's more obsessed about himself now, because he's on drugs so much, and he's, his ego's got the best of him, that he's more concerned with the car than he is with his friends well-being um, that's yeah that would make sense but i
1: yeah i mean there's probably a... It makes sense to cut it as well, I think. Yeah,
0: because yeah. I think it kind of ties. Like I said, not all the characters get happy endings. Where in this, she does kind of get a happy ending. She gets a, a husband who understands just, her. Just an unblemished happy ending. Yeah, it's, yeah. it seems a, it seems a weird anomaly. I mean, I remember when I saw the film the first time, I was like, "What happened to the car? Because they, they don't. Yeah, explain it. Um, I mean, I'm
1: literally watching that scene right now. Actually,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> funny you mentioned that. Yeah, right? oh, yeah, <laughs> but it's true, <laughs> isn't it? Is? Like, but then your mind. F- but this is it. Your mind, because f- it's such a good film. Your mind fills in the gaps, and you go. Well, he's probably crashed it because he's yeah. on drugs. Because he's on drugs. <laughs> yeah, because he's reckless. It was interesting. Old. I did suspect there was a scene where they showed it, and then I found it on YouTube. Oh, Well, yeah. good find. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that concludes Critics Corner. That concludes Critics Corner. Uh, maybe we'll get a jingle for that one day. Who can say?
1: Who can say? Yeah.
0: Um, so Sam. I'm going to ask your uh, rating of this film now. Um, and it's not going to be out of 1,000. It's going to be, so, how many inches out of 13 do you
1: Boogie <laughs> That's good. So, scaling that down uh, to 10. Well, uh, you No, know, no, it's out of it's, 13. F- <laughs> it's out of 13, right, okay. So, yeah. I'm going to give it 11 You giving it 13. You're giving Boogie Nights 11 inches. Okay. I'm giving it 11 of the 13 inches that are available to me.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> would you recommend the film *Bookie Nights*? Yeah,
1: yeah, up? I would. I would recommend it uh, to most, but not all people, because some people are idiots. But yes, I'd definitely recommend it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. There's maybe some people wouldn't under- understand it, but I c- because it's not, again, it's one of those films that's not entirely about. It's about something, but not tight. A tight narrative, like you said, it's yeah, it's character, not plot. Yeah, yeah, you're more interested Yeah, yeah, it's a great way of looking at it okay
1: cool well I'm so glad we did this Yeah. because it's about bloody time I watched this film what are we going to do next week Hugh well we're not onto that bit yet oh crikey I'm so sorry it's okay we're on a quiz we're on a quiz oh my god so after the break the quiz time
0: so after the break we're going to do the quiz see you after the break welcome back so it's now time for the quiz so this week we've only got five questions after the heady oh. days of last week where we had seven <laughs> oh, what exciting times <laughs> remember um, that kids <laughs> yeah seven's always more exciting than five <laughs> <laughs> and 13's always more exciting than 11 <laughs> yeah well not in your opinion <laughs> okay so question one question one We'll start you off with an easy one here. What is Dirk's real name? And I want his full name, not his first name. Ah, oh, balls. So it's Eddie. Yep.
1: Something. Off Mark. Eddie something. Uh, um, yeah.
0: How did you know his surname was something? That's.
1: <laughs> it's a weird one. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, is, do you think he's related to the bobbies?
1: But oh, it could be. So, I mean, it's definitely second cousins, definitely. Uh, what is it, gone Eddie? I'm going to give you the point because that was a tough. That was a that was a. Joke. What's the first letter? What's the a, first letter? A. A. Uh, pff, no. no Any Adams.
0: Adams, right? Okay, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Just checking if you're doing your research properly. <laughs> uh, okay. Number two. What is Roller Girl's real name?
1: Oh, um, it's. Oh crikey! Uh, yeah, the guy in the back of the car says it. You're not Randy, um, Brandy.
0: Yes, well You're done. Brandy, oh yes, yes, well done. Mate. Well Fantastic. done, mate. Yeah, that's that. See, that is an interesting plot device in the film, I think, as well, because she's kind of denying her past. Because again, a lot of this film is how the world reacts to to them being in the adult industry. Where mm. he's all right going on that. He's all right to make the film, but. It's that awkward interaction with somebody who's who knows you, um, and, and
1: also also the, the the moral high grounding of somebody who enjoys and watches those things yeah. against the person who's giving them entertainment. And yeah, well, that's yeah. that's good. good I, always, I always think
0: that's ultimately where the the grey area exists in pornography for for people because it's like people will watch it, and but then they might take the moral high ground about the people who do it, and it's like, well... Yeah, it's the same as prostitution, you know, it's never yeah. the Johns who are, who are convicted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, well, you can't criticise something that you... You you know, obviously, if you don't do it, then perhaps you are able to criticise it, or you don't you know, watch it, or you don't... I, I do
1: don't, I don't normally quote Shakespeare, but there's a great bit in King Lear where it's something along the lines of, you know, why do you... They're, they're, they're beating a, 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 a loose woman, who presumably just had one... Of sex outside of wedlock, and something like, "Why do you beat that woman?" Uh, for obviously, it's not forbidden. uh <laughs> You beat that woman for doing the thing that makes you feel so hot. You know, basically, that you want to have sex with her. She's had sex with somebody else, and you're having a go at you're you're beating her and punishing her for the thing that you want to do to her.
0: Yeah, I'm not familiar with the line, unfortunately. But Nor uh, am I, <laughs> <Clearly>. <laughs> As we just I demonstrated. <laughs>
1: um. I, I got it second-hand from Christopher Hitchens. He was talking about the sort of televangelist, uh, homophobic zealot, like Ted Haggard, who mm. later, turns out, uses Rent Boys consistently. <laughs> wow. You know, and it's this... Uh, there's a whole thing. Anyway, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go into it yeah. all, but, uh, you know, look it up. Look it up. It's called The Breast Pre- breastplate of a plate of righteousness
0: okay. question 3 <laughs> what is the name of bookstore
1: ah oh. um, rock and roll stereo <laughs> shack the one that he the one that he opens yeah yeah some at rock some, at, some at rock and no, go on, what is it? It's book Super Cool Stereo Store. That's the sort of thing I was basically <laughs> saying. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's not a maths test, eight, so I can't, you, eighties, I, can't you, uh, I can't give you I
1: can't marks for doing your... Uh... There's not negative marking, though. I've still got the one.
0: Yeah. Oh, anyway. No. <laughs> 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 You've got the two so far, because I'm giving you Eddie. I was being oh, a bit, right, bit, bit facetious with getting you to do Eddie. Uh, to do that, so, yeah. um, okay, question four. Uh, what is the song called that Dirk and Reed come up with oh dear
1: I don't think I'm going to get that I don't think I'm going to get that at all is that because you don't don't have
0: the (laughs) (laughs) touch? it's so bad it's this oh yeah do you want to know a fun fact about that that song I do Uh, you may have come across this in your own reading and research Um, it was actually a song used in a Transformers uh, movie Uh, it's an actual (laughs) song that exists so that's, Good quite, Lord. that's quite funny and it's as bad as it sounds there as well except
1: was in- it Transformers 3 or whatever the one that Mark Wahlberg's in no no it's one of the uh, cartoon <laughs> the old movies
0: ones. from the 80s Yeah, um, it's only a look, it's as bad but it's only a look, it's just in tune that's the difference <laughs> and then finally um, what is Reed's name in the Brocklanders films so we've
1: got Brocklanders yep so I, I you can do that. in so. my town or something. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh. It's rock, ch- Chest. He's uh, called chest. <laughs> <laughs> chest, chest. Chest Rock. Chest Rockwell. The Czech rock Yeah, that's it. Chest Rockwell. Well done. So yeah,
0: yeah. That chest name?
1: Rockwell. Brocklanders and Chest Rockwell.
0: What a great name for uh, a pair of <laughs> yeah. TV porn star Dynamics. Chest. Oh, stars. <laughs> chest. What's your name? Just Chest. Not <laughs> like, the bottom of the sea? No, no, like, what you have across you. <laughs> Both have the word rock in their names, which is, you know, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, because a bit of, uh, yeah, a good bit of uh, punnery there, isn't it? I so, know. that was Boogie Nights. Have you got any final thoughts about Boogie Nights, Sam? Final thoughts? Um,
1: it's my favorite director. I mentioned earlier, I've not seen all his films. And the po- the reason is because he became my favorite director from from one film, from The Master. In that film, Paul Thomas Anderson became my favorite director. Philip Seymour Hoffman became my favorite actor, and I'd probably seen fewer than three or four films, you know, related to either of them before that. Yeah, and I just really want to show you that film another time. Fair enough. Um,
0: He's really good. He's really good at making films. I mean, my th- yeah, clearly. Um, so yeah, my final thoughts on it is that it's 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 a wonderful um, exploration of uh, family and um, and how people work in a taboo industry and how they interact with the world and how that the success from that c- can breed like terrible things as well. Like success yeah. in anything can can make you a terrible person but also can also reiterate what's important in your life, I think. I think it's a cautionary things.
1: tale for the ages and I'm yeah. very happy I've seen it.
0: So if you have a 13-inch penis out there, just be careful, OK? <laughs> don't want to end up like a Dirt Diggler. Or dirty Yeah. Um, Rightio, so, so what's next week's film going to be then, Sam? Next week, we're going to do part of a PTA double header, PTADH. Yeah, is that's like not parent-teacher association we're not going to a local uh, school just to talk to teachers um, I really wish you'd made
1: that clear in our text conversation because that's what, kind of what I've set up.
0: Uh, well, I'm coming to one of your parents evenings with you, is that, <laughs> yeah. is that I'm just going to sit in with you as you talk to kids about their psychology uh, exams. Go on. Yeah, yeah, Yeah Well, uh, look forward to doing that next week. <laughs> we'll record it Yeah, record <laughs> yeah well I mean, <laughs> I mean there might be some legal issues about the children being on, on tape, but, you know, we, we can always... Uh, I'll, I'll ask around. Yeah, you, you know, you must, you know your law know, students, that could like, be a bit of work for them.
1: No. <laughs> so, therefore, yeah, no. Anyway, next week, we are going to do There Will Be Blood.
0: Right, okay.
1: Uh, another Paul Thomas Anderson film. What What do you know about it already?
0: So, I have seen, like, the first 20 minutes of this film about 10, maybe 11 years ago. Um, right I can't remember I think full disclosure audience I was watching it on a dodgy uh, DVD copy and it was a very good copy and I didn't get gripped by the first like 20 minutes of it to carry on watching because of the poor quality so I am looking forward to going back to this film and uh, watching it uh, again Uh, what do you know about it plot wise characters um, actors so it's a so it's a Daniel Day Lewis film. So obviously, my attention is kind of taken by by that actor. You know, he is one of the best. You know, I, we'll get into this next week, but he is one of the best actors of all time. He is just hmm. ridiculously good. Um, he's next level. You know, I, I I think he's better than. I hate to say it, but I think he's better than De Niro and Pacino. I think he's just same. Same. He's yeah. he's, he's, he's they're good, but they're great, he's galactic.
1: <laughs> they're also a bit sullied by the last thirty years or twenty years or something, you know, the, Well, I think he has he's never sullied himself really.
0: Yeah, I mean they've they've kind of made lots of films where he was very selective in the films that he made. He's not he's not just he, he doesn't go out and just make films for for money's sake, let's be honest, where I think Pacino and De Niro definitely have gone out and made films because they needed the not because they needed the money, that's the wrong thing, but they needed to finance other things. Um, and also they just I think maybe they just like to keep working
1: and just yeah. want to go from one to the other. He's much more of a committed okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be this job for five years and really get to know it and yeah. sort of that's that's the ideal really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: yes. Yeah, so it it is so I do struggle sometimes when I'm watching um when I'm watching a film with Daniel Day-Lewis and to see past the craft, so to speak. And to yeah. actually just engage with... You go, oh, what? that's an actor. and
1: uh, You know what? So, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Um, as you know, I've been watching the film in the background on mute. Mm. Credits. Burt, studio manager, played by Robert Downey Sr. Yeah. Who knew? Until today. Me? Uh, I mean, I didn't until today. Yeah. yeah. I, I was <laughs>
0: going to mention it, but I could never find a, a way to... Get it into the pod to be honest, unbelievable. So, what do you know about the plot
1: of There Will Be Pod?
0: Um, all I know is that I, it, he's a he's an oil prospector and that he's trying to get oil, <laughs> and that's kind of his <laughs> ambition. It's not, I, I think, from what I've seen and the bits I've seen over the years, I think it's more, it's not really about it's again, it's a bit Paul Thomas Anderson, this. it's not really about the plot, it's about the character. so I'm looking forward to watching it.
1: I'm looking forward to watching it again and again and uh, really looking into it. So, yeah, this has been
0: great. So, Sam, where can our audience uh, find us if they want to talk to us about uh, tonight's film or any of the other films that we've looked at uh, over the course of our uh, series?
1: They can do the social media thing. You can find us on Twitter at Please Watch Pod. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a page on Facebook called Please Watch This. That's also um, at Please Watch Pod.
0: How can they get in touch with us elsewhere? Right, so if they want to email us, unfortunately what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to get into the porn industry. They're going to have to, <laughs> go, uh, get into, going to, have to go around and fix somebody's computer. As perhaps... <laughs> You know, it's perhaps like some sort of maintenance man. You know, the the whole IT won't work. You know, you phone them up and call them. They'll just tell you to turn it off and on again. Uh, Which, you know, in this scenario, they need to be just permanently turned on. But when they fix the computer, at the end of the scene, if they want to write an email talking about Boogie Nights or any of the other films, uh, they can do that. Or, alternatively, they can just email us at pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com.
1: But only if they're a step-sibling of the of the main person for some reason nowadays. <laughs>
0: yeah, they, yeah. obviously the, the girl that they're going to see, it has to be... Yeah, it does
1: They have, have to have, to
0: have one or more parents married to the yeah. other person's otherwise, one or more parents. I mean, otherwise is it really porn? <laughs> Great yeah. stuff. Many of watch porn. <laughs> no, I mean this was the first I mean this is the second time I've ever uh, thought about it since the first time I watched uh, watched Boogie Nights yeah so therefore this is the first time
1: I've ever thought about it yeah or, uh, yeah did a, you a, did a did universe, do any research sort of uh no <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um right well it's time to go Cool. Well, it's, it's been fun. I'm so glad I got to watch the film by my favourite director, finally. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks for doing that. I yeah. look forward to
0: speaking to you next week. Okay, see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Love you all. Bye.